0: Well, uh, we're going to continue in worship this morning, and we're going to continue in our, our series on Ephesians. Um, we've been going through this for a while now. We'll be doing it for a few more weeks yet, I think, probably probably through August-ish is what we're looking at right now, so the rest of the month of July. But it's been a great study. I hope that um, in your own time, you've been spending some time looking at Ephesians. You know, I hope that when we come in here in Sunday morning, we pray that um, God would use this time to teach all of us something and and i i really pray that um in our in when you come in here that you don't say well bill said it and it's got to be the gospel i get a little sketchy sometimes when people say you know, uh, let us hear what Bill has to say. I don't even want to hear what Bill has to say, you know. I want to hear what God has to say. And so I hope that in your own time, you, you've been spending some time in the Word, that you would be verifying the things that uh, um, I proclaim because I believe that they're truth, but I'm not infallible. And so um, I would encourage you to read the Word for yourself. Uh, we're going to be looking at the um, the fifth chapter of Ephesians today. That's where we left off last week, by the way. Here we go, back here. I'm just going to read it with you today, and then um, we're going to pray that God would inspire us to understand his word. So please uh, open with you. It's on page 813, by the way, if you don't have your own Bible. Grab one on the table and hear the word of God with me this morning. Paul writes and he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or of greed, because those things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Please join me in praying today. Uh, Father, um, we believe that you are speaking truth. Matter of fact, we believe you're the only one who speaks truth perfectly. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would dwell here richly today, that you would speak into our souls the truth of your word, and that we would have eyes to he- see and ears to hear at your calling, that we would know you more fully. And I pray, Father, that you would open your word, the word you inspired, that we could understand it. We confess that we are sinful and we are prone to error and we are prone to misunderstand. And for this reason, Lord, we we uh, we plead with you uh, to show mercy on us by revealing your word to us today. And may we, uh, in your power, live it out everyday of our lives. We give you this time, we give you this place uh, in every way we can to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul starts right off here, and by the way, this is the fifth chapter of Ephesians, and we've, I've said, I feel like I've been saying this to you guys forever, but you know, we spent the first three chapters talking about, you know, uh, what we have in Christ, and then Paul kind of talks now about the realities of life, but today he tells us something very, very simple. I mean, it's a very simple thing he tells us to do. He starts off in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Be imitators, therefore, of God. Last week, I said some things about Following Christ, you know, we talked about putting off and putting on and our responsibility when we follow God, our own responsibility and what we're called to do. Sometimes we, we feel like, well, I believe it. And, um, and we sit back and I, I believe so much in waiting, tarrying for God's presence. You know what I mean? Uh, waiting for Him to show up, waiting for His deliverance over things. But there's something that Paul's saying here. He's saying, you're responsible to follow God as a a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll remember his very simple command to those that he he met in the marketplace, in their lives, right where the word is, he'd say, follow me. And people would just start walking after Jesus. And I said last week, I said something, I said something about being Godlike, right? Resembling your creator. And sometimes we get sketchy, we're like, wait a minute, because there's only one God and we're not God. And that's the fundamental sin in the Garden of Eden is, is that we thought we could be God. And there are people still now that believe they can be God in life. But here Paul says something different. He says, therefore, because you're called to put off and put on, because you have the Spirit of God living in you, church, therefore, be imitators of God. And he means the holy God, the God who created everything. Imitate him in your life. And uh, the word actually is mimetai, and it means to mimic, right? That's what it means. Um, I actually was going to have someone help me with this this morning. Uh, I don't know how many kids we have here. We got a few, a few. I'm going to ask my daughter, Olivia, if you'll come up here for a moment. She's going to help me demonstrate what Paul's writing to the church. You'll remember he wrote to the church. He called them the saints in Ephesus, right? And he said, therefore, or for this reason, hi, how are you? Good. Good. All right. So, you're going to help me demonstrate, right? How this works? Okay, go ahead. So he he says, therefore, therefore, be imitators. It means what are you doing? It's not that. No, he means he means to mimic, right? To do. Do you want a microphone? Do you want a microphone? Huh? Do you want a microphone? Huh? What? Okay, so. What's Paul say here? He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. See what I'm saying? Now, this could go on the rest of the service, couldn't it? She she does this at the dinner table? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. No, seriously. I love you, girl. No, yeah, see, I knew she was the right person for the job. Now, I asked John, I said, would you help? And he's like, no. I was going to have John come up here because what well, I see at my dinner table is that with them two, right? And it usually ends with a little more violence than a kiss on the head, <laughs> right? We, that's what he means. When Paul writes to the church, and he says, be mimickers, he means, I want, what was really happening when Olivia was up here? What's really happening when she's doing that? Do you notice? She's what? Watching. She's listening. And she's repeating. And the better she gets at mimicking, at imitating me, the better she gets at, at, at being in sync, the more alike we are. Does this make sense? It, but it's really annoying. I don't know why Paul, God would inspire Paul to write that. <laughs> And it's addictive too. Isn't that interesting? Because at the table, I'd say, Stop. And she says, Stop. Well, I know, stop. Seriously, stop. Seriously. And you start trying to think of clever ways you can make them say bad things about themselves. It's the a little stop. Because someone had. But this is what Paul means. Imitate God, church, he says. Be imitators, therefore, because you're called to put off and put on. And he's writing to the church, and he knows that we're stuck in our sin. He knows that we're cycling around the same patterns of behavior. And he says, stop all that stuff and instead be an imitator of God. Listen, as dearly loved children, we are called to imitate our creator. That's where we get righteousness in him. The more we are like him, you and I can be imitators in the same way. The other thing, um, as a matter of fact, Paul has a couple of other places that he writes to the churches. You know, Paul, these letters that we're reading, Ephesians, are letters written to the churches. And there's some other places that he wrote some things to the churches. And this first one he writes to uh, um, Philippians, the church in Philippi. And he says this, he says, Now join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you, right? So he's writing to another church in Philippi, and he says, join with others in following my example. Paul is serious. Paul says this crazy thing about being a follower of Jesus, that he should, he says, follow, matter of fact, let me show you what he says right here. He says, and this is to the church in Corinth, and he says, follow my example. As I follow the example of Christ, it means the same thing. As I imitate Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. By the way, one other thought here on this, right? That thing that Olivia just did really happens. I mean, it really happens at the dinner table, but it really happens in your life, right? In a parental role, in a community role, we are influencers of one another, and the God who made us knows this. And Paul writes here and he says, therefore, because you're called to put off and put on, be imitators of God, mimics of God. Why? Because others around you will begin to imitate your behavior as well. You can become an influence, a godly influence in other people's lives. It happens in your homes, whether you like it or not. Your children follow you, whether you like it or not. And so here Paul says, follow my example, church, as I follow the example of Christ. What a bold statement for a follower of Jesus to make follow me, follow my example. The reason that we believe uh, that we can trust God's word is that he inspired it, but he gives us patterns of living, Paul does. That's why we're preaching the the, God, uh, the um, letter to the Ephesians is it because he is telling us the pattern that he taught to the church on how to live, on how to be holy. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love. So the first thing that we're called to do is be imitators of God, right? But the next thing the church is called to do is to live a life of love. Read with me, if you will. This is what the word says. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, right? We sang a song this morning. I love that match, that, those, that, that matched up. we sang a song this morning that said the same thing, Right? As Christ loved us, teach us to love others. This is the call that we have in following God ourselves, that we are called to live a life like Jesus. Um, Actually, some translations will say something like, live in the way of love. Live in the way of love. My favorite words. I love this. I don't know why I'm getting giddy talking about it. Parapateo. I told you about parapateo before. It means to walk around. Parapateo just sounds so funny to me, right? But it means walk around in Christ's love. This is the call to the church. As you have your 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 motivation or your movement, your locomotion, walk around in love. And here's the thing. Sometimes we get the hippie Jesus thing going, don't we? I mean, have you seen the hippie Jesus? He was like on the hillside like, hey, man, chill out. You know what I mean? That Jesus, the 60s Jesus who like still lives in our culture sort of kind of like, I don't think Jesus was a hippie. I think he walked around in love. I mean, Jesus, I said earlier, he went into the church and he threw over tables because he was frustrated because people weren't prayerful. They weren't interested in having a relationship with God. He would get frustrated when he would do healings because they only come for healings or feeding people. They only come to be fed, and they would still deny God's love for them. They would not sell themselves out to the kingdom of God. He wasn't some soft-spoken, you know. He was... Uh, perfect, but he walked around in love. I would challenge you, as you read scriptures and you find verses that you're uncomfortable with, things that Jesus did, you go, wait, wait, what are you doing there, Jesus? To acknowledge the truth that everything he did was in love. Everything. He walked around in love. And Paul says, therefore, church, live a life of love. I think some of the things that we get wrong in the church about love is that we follow the culture's lead on what love looks like, don't we? Even the word love, we think we think it's just like kind of, um, I don't know, like emotional. And it, I mean, there's emotions in it, but love is an action. And here's something else that's interesting to me, right? The word says, the Bible says that God is love. It's not that God loves It does say, for God so loved the world, but God fundamentally is love. Therefore, mimicking God, when you're walking in step, when you're getting better at imitating him because of his spirit living in you, you begin to live a life of love. I'm not saying this is one who does this perfectly, but I'm saying this is what the word records for us. Walking in step with the spirit. You live a life of love. We're going to talk about that more today, about what Paul is calling us to do. So how do we do it? Much like Olivia up here this morning, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I mean, if you want to know how to live your life, you know, we get those bracelets that people had it for a while. I never had one, but it said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, and then sometimes people get offended because people do things that Jesus would never do with that bracelet on. You know what I mean? How do you know? I mean, you've got to know what the Word says, the Bible, about what actually Jesus did when he was here, how he lived you need to be praying and be in relationship with God so you can ask, what would you do if you faced this? Uh, the word says that if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give it freely, freely. He gives us his wisdom if we only ask. We're told to live a life of love. L- looking at Jesus as our example. As a matter of fact, um, one of the things uh, we talked about earlier is some are dedicated to Christ. Uh, Sierra Olden Camp's coming home uh, the 5th. I would say it's going to kick off now. We're going to change modes a little bit and start getting together and and, and studying together with Sierra here. I'm, I'm excited about this. One of the things that Sierra and I have been talking about is this conviction that whenever we go to share the good news of the kingdom of God with people, we do it like Jesus did it, right? And, and one of the things that my brother-in-law, Rich, put on a thing on Facebook just recently, and I was blown away because I was like, oh, "That's it, I can't remember the numbers. I should know them. I, maybe I'll post it so you guys can check it out. But it says... um uh, Jesus was asked like 168 questions, and his response was to ask 307. And he answered three. And it's, and it's this idea that when people are engaging in, in conversations about things of God, sometimes we're too quick to answer like we have all the answers and not ask more questions. And Jesus would always ask, People questioned when they would come to him, and this is kind of the heart behind a conversation, wanting a relationship more than an outcome. Do you know what I mean? We're not just people are people. They're God's creation, and they should be treasured as such, not like notches, you know, not not numbers. They're images of our creator, and therefore we should treat them uh, in such a way. And so Jesus did this by engaging them in real He was interested in a relationship. He wasn't interested in being right. Matter of fact, one of the verses I've been trying to live out, and it's hard for me, is that uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Why do they contrast those things? Paul says, knowledge only puffs you up. Being right isn't right at all. That's a hard thing to realize. So we're doing some things, trying to live this out a little bit. So how do you do it? I think when we look at Jesus' life, we look at who he hung out with. And then when we look at who he hung out with, we look at how he hung out with them. And then we can also look at who he didn't hang out with. And we can begin to get a model for how we're to be imitators, as Paul said, of God, imitators of God. As a matter of fact, read on with me, if you would, in, in this uh, in the word today. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Paul's saying the model is Jesus, and not only is it Jesus, but it's how Jesus pleased God in his life. It's the same model that you and I are called to. I was amazed as I read the word, and it said a fragrant offering. I, I want to um, to tell you that the way this reads a, a little more accurately, it says, and Jesus gave himself up as an offering and sacrifice to God to make a smell that's a good stink. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? It's like redundant. The, the aroma is redundant here that there's something that in Christ is pleasing to God. There's an aroma. Paul says, be imitators of God. There should be something in our lives, and the question that I have is, how does you know your life smell? I mean, and it's a weird question to ask, but I you know pray that God would give us eyes to see it, ears to hear, and are we fragrant offering before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Is this the life that we have in Him? I want to remind you for a moment. I want to remind you of the reality of the smell of Christ in the world, because some people couldn't stand it. He drove them crazy. Jesus did. They were offended by his stench. And some people, man, they couldn't wait. Come on, Jesus. I got room at my table. Sit down with me. Come into my house. Live with me. Because they smelled it. Pleasing. Paul says here, as an offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus' greatest work on, for all eternity on our behalf was on the cross. And you think about the brutality of the cross. You think about the reality of the cross. And you think, oh, it must have been awful to see. I mean, awful. And the word says here that in heaven, God is saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What a radical call to the church to be imitators of Jesus. I mean, what a very hard thing to aspire to. He says there should be something pleasing. There should be something that God looks down and says, this is my child. I was reminded recently in my own walk that our goal as followers of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, is on the day that we see him face to face, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't mean we've earned salvation far from it. It means we've lived in his grace, his mercy. We've smelled it, we've tasted it, and we've begun to share and to live it ourselves, and people know it. And God himself is pleased with us. And he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a different thing to pursue in our lives. I want to show you a little bit about this aroma, some places that this is used in scripture. This is a story about Jesus. He's in this room with the disciples and a bunch of other folks. This is the people he's hanging out with. And it says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. And nard, I can't imagine this smells good, but it must have, <laughs> right? It sounds like lard to me. It just doesn't sound appealing to have a pint of it on me. But it says, it's an expensive perfume. And she poured it out on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. You'll, remember, you'll recall that if you know the story, that the disciples themselves were offended by this. They said, what a waste. Why would you do this? But look at what the word says. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That word is the same word that Paul says. The sacrifice of Jesus was a pleasing aroma. And this is one that we're to imitate in our lives. An extravagance poured out. Can you imagine what that smells like. Can you imagine what Christ, dying for our sins, smelled like in the whole house of God? I mean, that's the same word. Same idea. So not only is the whole place filled, but here's the next thing. It says, But this is Paul, by the way, writing to the church in Corinth again, another letter. He says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. This is us, church, me and you, in Christ Jesus. And through us, he spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. There it is. So it's not just this thing for Jesus. And it's not just this thing for the church in Ephesus. But he says, praise be to God who leads us forward so that we might everywhere spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God. And I know it's juxtaposed. I know there's this kind of thing because the world says that stings. But it's our call to spread the aroma of God everywhere we go. This is the gift. Alright, read with me if you will. So this is the cons this is kind of the, 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 the mental framework that Paul's setting up here as he says, be imitators of God, and then he pushes on some things here that we're gonna talk about um briefly this, this morning in verse three. But among you there should be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are not proper for the holy people of God that we are called to not to put off these old things, to not do them anymore. And, and I was amazed because the, the, the word here is, don't even let it be named among you. Like, no, no one accuse you, you know. Paul says that to the church. Don't let people accuse you. He says, there should be a hint of it among you. And I read this, and what I feel inside, I don't know if you feel it, is conviction. I mean, the three words that he has here is, uh, the one is pornea, right? For sexual immorality, it's pornea. And now that's interesting because we have a word in our culture for that, right? It's called porn. And we don't want to talk about porn at church, do we? We don't want to do that here. But right here in God's Word, it says, Paul says, it should not be among you. I was amazed when I started looking. It's you know what it means? It's the selling off of something that God calls holy as cheap. Something that God calls very good as worthless. This is what Paul says. It should not be so among the people of God. We should not be those who would sell our inheritance for a bowl of soup. Something that God says is so good, and we would just say is, eh, no big deal. No big deal. He says, don't be that way. Don't uh, live a life that that can be named for you, about you, in your life. Sexual immorality, he says, should not be living among you. I want to I want to take one second here to step out and talk about something. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, someone asked a question uh, via our comments. By the way, on the bottom of your engagement sheet, there's a comment and question tear off. You can tear that off, and you can write comments about the service, or questions, or prayer concerns. Right? Well, someone wrote a question, and, and um, I've been praying for the last few weeks about where. And then here, God brings us a place where He says, "Let well, no there'll be no sexual immorality among you." And uh, this person wrote the question. they he's like, "Well, what if this isn't true for me?" What do I do if I've already given away what God calls precious? And my heart and God's heart on it is is that in Christ all things are new. I mean, you remember what Jesus said when he would encounter sin in the world, and we have a heart because we you know, but Jesus would encounter sin and he would say, Sin is sin, but he would say, You are forgiven, go and sin no more. I mean, it's our hope for holiness, isn't it? Because we know we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, when we realize our sin, God asks us to confess it and to repent. That means stop. And, and, and even in that, to trust him that we can stop. You know, Paul says, there's a thorn in my flesh that I can't remove. I do the things I don't want to do. And yet, we continue to li- lean upon his throne. And I would say very clearly that if you're in that spot and you feel like, it's too late for me. It's over. There's no hope. That's a lie. The God that we follow is the God of eternal hope. The Savior that we believe in on the cross died for every sin. And you and I can take that to eternity, knowing that that's true. And therefore, in Christ, we can be new again. And I would just offer that as a word of encouragement, that don't believe that you've, you've, there's no sin that's beyond redeeming in God's eyes. There's no sin that's beyond redeeming in the eyes of God. And so um, here when he says, let none of that be among you, we, we are called to um, aspire, right? Reading on. The next thing he says here is, let no impurity be among you. And that's another word. That's even harder. If you think this one little area, how about your whole life? The word means mixing, right? Let nothing, let no sin be in it. Like, not even a little bit. You ever heard the old saying, like, um, a, a small fly spoils the whole ointment? You know what I mean? Like, he's saying, be pure, In Christ, church, be pure. I'm like, man, like, there's so much in my life that's not that way. But it's what Paul is calling us to in Christ Jesus. Imitators of God. The word says that Jesus lived a life and didn't sin. He was fully man and fully God, and he did not sin. And Paul says this is our standard. As followers of him, imitators of him, let no mix, let nothing impure be found and named among you. And then the last thing he lists here is greed, right? And, and this we talked earlier too about FPU. This is the thing, right? It's it's this desire for always more. One of the things that Dave and Dawn said, and I loved in that video, we didn't set that up. That's just them confessing what they've experienced. They said that we've found contentment. Doesn't mean there's no stress, doesn't mean the bills don't need to be paid, but it means they're content, more content right? What is that? That's a heart change that's happened in us. That you don't have to always, this insatiable, never-ending, aspiring for more. And it doesn't only mean money. We read greed, I think, money. But it means more of whatever, you know? I mean, any area of your life, if you always want more, 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 God calls that greed. We can desire things but fundamentally, not more. As a matter of fact, I heard somebody say one time, this is a really helpful little thing. They say, you can, God desires for us to want things. I mean, we're made to want things, right? It, it motivates us. But he says a fundamental question that you can ask yourself as a gut check, as a follower of Jesus, is, am I willing to sin to get it? Because if you or I are willing to sin to get what we want, then it's not of God. He would never have a sin to get it. And that's the fundamental issue. Greed is that willingness to do anything to have more, more, more. So read on with me in verse 4. Therefore, there should be, nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place. Oh, by the way, it says in the end of verse 3, because these are improper, improper for the holy people of God right? They don't, it means they don't fit. It doesn't stand up to the standard that God has for his people, his believers, and therefore it's not fitting, the word tells us. I keep backing up. I want to share one more thing with you. You know how awesome it is to live in a community of faith? I find it such a blessing, and I'm always encouraged. And one of the things that happened this last year is we had, we have some Greenville College students to hang out with us And they do something called the Capstone Project. And one of the Capstone Projects that was done this year, uh, I remember the title, it was called um, The Bride Wore White, But What About the Groom? And they made this case, I thought it was a pretty good case, that we lay off the call to purity on women as if men don't have the same call. And they made a very strong case that we kind of give guys a pass while we have these expectations for women. And the culture sees this too, everyone sees this and i just thought man what a great look at the call that god has for his people to all be holy all be pure i wouldn't if you want to get a copy of that i'll send it to you it's a, it's not Heart, long read. It's a great work, and it just kind of challenges the the status that we take in the church and outside the church toward these things of holiness. All right. So this is what it says in verse four: Nor should be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking that are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now here's the here's the solution, right? Paul's been telling us to take to put off and put on, and he's saying to take off obscenity, coarse talk, and and was it foolish joking, right? And what's really interesting is that. Um, Obscenity is like anything that's improper, you know, like we think of cursing as obscenity, but it's just anything that's improper in our lives. Paul says, take it off. Don't, don't live immorally, right? And then the next thing he says is um, uh, foolish talk. Foolish talk is funny because he means don't say stupid things. Don't use your mouth for stupid purposes. It means moronic in the word. That's what it means. Don't say things that are moronic. And you go, man, Paul, that's pretty harsh, that's not politically correct to say don't be stupid, but that's what he says. Church, don't say stupid things. So those first two, I go, okay, yeah, you know, obscenity, yeah, I won't be obscene and uh, it's not fitting for me, and I won't say stupid things. I'll try not to say stupid things. But here's this third, it says um, or coarse joking, something like that, right? What's the word say? You guys coarse joking? Yeah. You know what it means? A quick wit. Man, we love a quick wit, don't we? We call it sitcom, right? Oh, you're in a social environment, you know, and someone just gets somebody. Yo, that was brutal. Paul says that ain't fitting for the people of God. I go, come on, Paul, give me something. You know what I mean? That one's hard. It means a fast turn. It means it mean, it's good. It means a, a good thing. You're using God's giving you a quick wit of your mind, but what are you doing? You're, you're injuring people with it. You're wounding people, and we all laugh, but someone goes off, and they aren't laughing. Paul says it's not fitting. Here's a solution for these things. Instead, continually give grace and thanks. He says, instead, live a life of thanksgiving. The word is Eucharisto, Same thing as communion. Live a life where you're saying, God, thank you. I'm wondering as I read this stuff today, I don't know if you're with me or not, but I'm wondering as I read this if it makes sense. Does my desires, does my, uh, my choice about my sexual behavior, uh, does my choice about morality really reflect a lack of grace and thanksgiving to God? Do we sing that song, right? Do we treasure the things that God treasures in our life? Do we call the things sacred that He calls sacred in our life? Do we stand and do we say thank you? Do we live a life of grace and thanks for the things that we have, the people who are in our lives? This is Paul's response. And I would challenge you, what is it that encourages us to do that wrong? Is it possible in that moment, in that moment, to say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for the situation, or or, uh, thank you for the struggle. Thank thank you for this person I'm having a hard time dealing with. And would that heart toward God and others change the way you and I treated each other as holy and blameless and God's children? Paul says here, put off those old things and put on... um, this fragrance of grace and thanks. This is his solution. So this is the kind of people were to be. I want to I finish up here. Let's just read, read through. Here's what he says in verse 5. For this church you can be most assured, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He says something profound here about all things we've been talking about, right? Be imitators of God, therefore, right? He's saying that what you do is who you are. He says, what you do is who you are. He says, listen, church, no immoral, impure, or greedy person will enter God's kingdom. They won't get in. It won't happen. Well, that's harsh, right? He's saying that as those who are being sanctified by God, we are called to imitate him in our lives, and therefore we should not rest thinking, well, we're all going to get there somehow, right? Instead, we are called to live a life that is holy and blameless. So here's this word. Such a man is an idolater, right? He's saying that if you're living your life in this way, you are worshiping a God that you have made up. If And this is our, If you've become comfortable with your sin in your life, you've got a made-up God because God is never comfortable with sin. It is not his plan. The word says you have no part in Christ's kingdom or God's kingdom. What? Kingdom is this ruling place where God is in charge. Remember, the fundamental issue in the Garden of Eden is that they believed that they could be God. He says, no, you will obey me. You will, you will listen to me. You will live as I've called you to live. And Paul says here that they will not enter the kingdom of God. L- read on with me. They have no place and let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. He says, there are those who will say, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And he says, this is not coming from God. God desires for you to be like him, to be obedient, to be following him in your life. He says, idolaters have no place in God's kingdom. And this is the fundamental flaw in all of those behaviors. It's idolatry, worshiping a fake image instead of God himself. that's a hard word, you know. It's his passion for his people that drives it. It's his desire for the people that he made to worship him that drives it. It's his holiness that drives it in our life. And he says that. Now, some some people, this is hard because it says here, you are living in disobedience. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And, and I've heard people say, man, I just can't believe. I, I just can't believe. There's one place in the scripture where a guy says this to God, he says to Jesus, I believe, help with my unbelief. I love that. But here, Paul says, there are some of you who are living in willful disobedience to God. You're not praying that prayer. God, I believe, just help me believe. You're deciding to be disobedient as a child of God. You're choosing to not live in obedience, in belief, in faith. And some some would say that. What that means, what that means for us is that some of us, uh, Are living willfully against God's work in our life. The God that died for us, who poured out his spirit on us, and we're obstinate, we're disobedient. And God says, It's not to be this way with my people. So, my question as we wrap today is this. How does your life smell? How does it smell to you? And the next one is this. Are you following God? Or are you just following this made-up thing? The one, (laughs) this guy that's like, don't change anything. I believe we're called to follow a God who's transforming us. Please join me in prayer today. Father God, we have come into your house to hear from you, hear from your word. And Lord, uh, we confess that we don't always need you as much as we need you. I mean that we don't always sit before you and acknowledge our own sinfulness before you. And even more, Father God, forgive us when we choose to actively not believe. We choose to actively live in disobedience, even as those that you've died for. I ask, Father, for your grace and mercy over us, but I ask that we would live out your word that we would, by your spirit and in your time, but in your way, that we would be obedient, we would walk around in love. And, Father, in everything, we give you praise and glory. But, I don't, I, Father, I, I want to know you like you want to be known. Father, for those idolatrous things, the greed in our lives, the immorality, the impurity, I pray that we would strike those from our lives that we could follow you and you alone. And then, Father, today for uh, the cross of Christ, the aroma of salvation, we give you thanks and praise. I pray that we would never dismiss it out of hand as this kind of silly thing 2,000 years ago, but we would see it as the profound saving work that you have done in our life. May you be glorified through the cross. May you be glorified through your work. And may you be glorified through our lives. We pray this fully dependent on you and trusting you for everything. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.